You're listening to the Chicago Audible Podcast, changing up the way Bears fans stay up to date on their favorite team since 2015. Now get ready. Because it's time to bear down. Welcome back, Bears fans, to another episode of the Chicago Audible. There's been a few days now since the 2020 NFL Draft has concluded, and I hope that you are feeling pretty good about the Chicago Bears 2020 draft class. I'm your host, Will DeWitt, joined as always by my co-host, Nicholas Moriano. And ever since the draft ended on Saturday night, I know you've been busy diving in and learning as much as you can about the newest Bears. And I just want to know, Nick, how's that experience been for you? You know, it's uh, been a busy one. I think since the draft has ended, we've just been constantly trying to learn more about each draft pick. So we've been busy for sure. Now, obviously, we have, Nick, quite the episode for everyone. We've spent the week gathering interviews with people that have either covered and, in one instance, coached all of the Chicago Bears draft picks. And personally, I'm pretty stoked that we went this route. It's a little new compared to what we typically do immediately after the draft. And I thought throughout the week, we learned some great things about the rookies you know, straight from the source. Are you as excited as I am to kind of share these interviews and the information that we're able to collect this week with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. I think with the people that we talk to, they just have that that firsthand experience to where now you're going to be able to know a little bit more about each draft pick. And I think that's exactly what you want to do at these times. Just learn about who the new Chicago Bears are. Exactly. That's what this week is all about. And before we dive in, I do want to make sure we take a moment to at least maybe share some of our analysis. I know we did our instant reaction shows throughout the entire draft, but of course, after some time to sit and reflect and in our case, learn more about the draft class, it's obviously natural for opinions to shift. So Nick, are there any particular rookies or rookie that you have maybe a change of heart on now compared to the instant reaction episodes or any just general changes in opinion on the draft class as a whole? You know, just after, like you said, take some time to think about the draft as a whole. I, I'm, I like what Ryan Pace has done. I think the Bears did get better in a lot of areas that they needed to, especially a tight end, cornerback, and even the seventh-round draft picks that I know I wasn't very excited about initially with the offensive linemen. I see why Ryan Pace did it. So after assessing, just kind of thinking about things, I like what Pace did. The Bears got better, and that's the most important part. Exactly. I think they covered some areas of need. Perhaps offensive linemen could have or should have been addressed earlier in this draft, but they brought in two guys, and we said it on the last draft reaction episode. If you throw you know, two stones out there and one of these guys ends up sticking, I think the Bears will be better off for that. And the end of the day, uh, getting guys that they did earlier in this draft who I think can carve out roles sooner rather than later are really going to help this team in 2020, maybe 2021, whereas some of these later draft picks, especially at offensive line, could be more long-term projects, which may end up be paying dividends when you have guys at the tail end of their contracts or a Charles Leno Jr., who, of course, is uh, getting towards the end of his. Bobby Massey, we don't know his longevity here in this offense. So double-dipping in the offensive line, to me, was one that we called f- that it hit flat 
on the immediateness because we're hoping for a bang to end the draft. But like you said, after some time to sit and reflect, not so flat. I'm very excited about both of those prospects and what they kind of bring to this team. Nick, one final thought here before we kind of kick it over to the interviews. Should we spend about 20 minutes or so talking about the Bears re-signing or bringing back defensive tackle John Jenkins for his second stint here in Chicago? I think we have to. No, of course not. I mean, it's just a move that you do in the off or, you know, early on, but it doesn't warrant a 20 minute podcast. I would, I would assume. Any thoughts on the undrafted free agent guys before we kind of kick it over to interviews? Um, they just brought a bunch of people at, at positions that weren't drafted. You look at the, the running back position. Um, I know we got a player there and then you ha- obviously have Khalil Mack's little brother, which I think is the big news. We'll see how that all plays out because it can get, I think, a little, little weird if like he weren't make if he doesn't make the team, and you know how things like that can can work out. But yeah, what does a robot know you like a neighbor? Insurance Corporation will fulfill request to cover anyone, anything, anytime, anywhere with most standard algorithm in the order it was received. Please hold. Robots don't know you. We do. At Farm Bureau Financial Services, getting the insurance coverage you need always starts with a conversation. Find a Farm Bureau agent at fbfs.com slash protect. It's your future. Let's protect it. To see and wait on those guys, um, obviously none of them are guaranteed to make this Bears roster. They're really on the outside looking in, but we'll have to wait and see with those guys. Exactly. We'll talk about them more in depth. I'm assuming when we start going to countdown to camp episodes, when we're going position by position, they're definitely going to be included in those episodes. I like that running back Pierce a lot. I believe he does bring a little bit of that power element that both Nick, you and myself were kind of hoping the Bears would find, but also he has some speed to him in that second gear. So he's an interesting hybrid type of running back, which I'm excited to continue to dive in more. But this week has been the primary focus on the draft class itself. So Nick, are you ready to kind of just begin and start our interview process? Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited for people to listen with what the reporters and coach have to say. All right. So first up, let's go ahead and bring on Tyler James. He's the beat writer and Notre Dame insider for the South Bend Tribune to learn more about the 43rd overall pick, tight end Cole Komet. Now, Tyler, I want to know, is there a performance that stands out from you uh, from Komet that really kind of put him on the radar and gave a glimpse that he can be a top tight end, not just at Notre Dame, but in this draft class? Yeah, I think it would probably have to be his first game of, of 2019 when he came back from his broken collarbone injury. He came in and played against Georgia, um, had nine catches for 108 yards and a touchdown. Um, I think there were high expectations, certainly going into his junior season. Um, and then the collarbone injury happened during camp, and um, that was a setback. But um, to see him out on the field against Georgia, having not having played yet, and maybe a little bit nervous about how his collarbone would hold up, and he's out there stiff-arming guys and taking big hits and um, not looking worse for the wear, um, it was a pretty good performance for Cole and um, sort of solidified what we expected to see out of him and um, kind of launched him into a breakout junior season. Now, obviously, there wasn't a ton of production early on in Komet's Notre Dame career. Uh, is, are there certain ways that you did see Komet grow throughout the years? Yeah, I mean, he came to Notre Dame as, I believe, the number three tight end in the country, both according to rivals and 24-7 sports. So there were 
Um, many people that thought that he would turn into a good player and certainly as a good athlete, being a two sport athlete, playing baseball as well for the Irish. Um, but um, he was he, uh, certainly big. He always had the size. He added weight uh, throughout his career um, and, and some strength as, as, as you could see in his uh, maturation, but um, he, he really was just, it was just a kind of a guy that we th- were waiting to see break out um, and just kind of needed that opportunity and um, didn't get a lot of opportunities as a sophomore, um, had a, a high ankle sprain that limited him as, as, as well. Um, so it was just, a, it was almost more or less just a matter of time. I think there was always high expectations for him and he always was a physically impressive athlete. And so it wasn't like he um, came out of nowhere or anything, but it's just a, at Notre Dame, they always have pretty good tight ends recently. So right. um, even if you're a highly touted guy, you're going to have to wait your turn sometimes. Yeah, Tyler, Nicholas Moriano here with Cole Komet being the Bears' first pick in that second round and there being such a need to see production out of the tight end position. What about Komet's skill set leads you to believe that he can have success with the Bears? Yeah, I think he um, can do a little bit of everything. I don't think he – um is a, a, a one one trick pony or anything like that as a tight end. I think he can, he can block. I, I certainly think he um, has room to improve there, but he has a willingness to block um, and uh, a toughness to him that would lead you to believe that he, he's going to take on those responsibilities. Um, and then as a receiver, I think he, he's very physical after the catch um, and he isn't afraid to uh, get a hit after making a tough catch. He can make catches in traffic. Um he has done a number of different things in terms of lining up in various spots throughout a formation, running different kinds of routes. So I, I think he's pretty balanced when it comes to being a tight end. Now, I don't think he's going to um, be a speed demon and run by a bunch of people, but um, I don't know that he's going to have guys straping all over him because he can't create any separation either. Gotcha. And Tyler, what was maybe your favorite interaction or favorite story that you did on Cole Komet? Well, it's funny. I actually saw – Cole Komet, because I used to cover recruiting for the South Bend Tribune. Um, so I saw Cole play against Julian Love in high school. They're both from the Chicago area. It was Cole um, was a, a year younger than Julian. Um, but so I, that game, actually, their, their team's quarter, quarterback wasn't very good. And so um, he was playing quarterback that game. And on one snap, unfortunately for him, uh, Julian Love just kind of came up to him and just stripped the ball from him <laughs> and took it back for a touchdown. It was, it was kind of tough because I, I felt very good about Cole uh, as a prospect and had seen him uh, at Notre Dame at camps and stuff, uh, but he was uh, put in sort of a tough position playing quarterback because they didn't necessarily have a ball, a guy that could get the ball to him, and so they just snapped the ball to him instead. But he, he showed his great athleticism today, although that, that one play – um, which was kind of funny, two future Notre Dame teammates playing against each other and one taking the ball away from the other. Um, but that was that was like my my, my one big uh, interesting moment with with Cole. Um, certainly he uh, this past season was available to us more in the media because he was having more of an impact and he was always um, very open and honest with reporters and some and a guy that um, really uh, appreciated uh, the, the attention that was given to him and kind of understood his role. So a very well-rounded, person off the field as well um, that I think uh, Bears fans will enjoy. I'm curious, what kind of player was he perceived to be in the locker room by his coaches and his peers? Obviously, Coach Kelly had some very vocal words in his press conference there on Tuesday this week. Yeah, a good teammate. Certainly, um, as he was only a junior last year, wasn't a, wasn't a captain, um, but a guy that guys looked up to uh, as a leader. I think a lot of people respected um, his ability to play both sports and that he, he didn't necessarily – 
although he would be missing some time for baseball during the spring for spring football, he was still around football as much as he could and didn't let that impact his dedication to the football team. And I think uh, guys around in the locker room really respected that and knew that if Cole was out there, that he was going to give everything he had. And certainly um, coming back after missing two games with a broken collarbone and, and fighting through injuries during his time at Notre Dame um, really allowed people to, to respect what he was doing and, and, and believe that uh, he, he uh, held the team first and um, wasn't necessarily about himself uh, in, in most occasions. Yeah, absolutely. And Tyler, how would you summarize Cole Komet's time with, with Notre Dame? What will he be remembered for? Um, I, I think it'll probably just be that he, when he finally was able to have a chance to, to um, produce, he did, he did that. Um, he was able to score touchdowns um, in his junior season um, certainly it's, it's, very, it's kind of a small window of, of his greatest impact, but um, he was, he was out there making plays for Notre Dame um, in, in games that, that, that were close games and games that Notre Dame was, was trying to come back in. Um, he had a touchdown catch against Michigan um, and that came a little bit after a, a questionable penalty on Michigan. Um, and so the fans were throwing towels at him. And so there's pictures on the internet of, of yellow towels on, on top of his helmet after he scored a touchdown. Uh, so just a guy that really made a, an impact in a, in a small window at Notre Dame really kind of uh, just was another example of the tight end tradition that has that has been um, continued at Notre Dame. And, and um, I think uh, has, has sort of kind of laid the groundwork for more tight ends to continue to follow him uh, at Notre Dame as well. Would you follow Coach Kelly there and put him in the same category as like an Eifert and a Rudolph? I would say he's more similar to Rudolph than Eifert. Um, Eifert being more of a, a receiving threat, I think, um, of, of those three, the most of those three. Um, Eifert was almost just like a big wide receiver that, that just happened to play tight end. Um, and I think Cole is more of a, nat- a natural fit at tight end. Um, I think he certainly has some room for improvement in terms of the blocking aspects, but I think um, that's something he will be able to do. And so, yeah, I, I think – maybe a combination of those two. Certainly that's a high praise as both those guys made pro bowls. Um, but I, I think that he has that kind of potential um, and, and he can be a, a really, a really good tight end down the road uh, for the bears. Is there anything that uh, I haven't asked you or Nick hasn't asked you yet about Cole Komet that you believe Chicago bears fans would benefit from learning more about? Um, no, I, I think, I think it's certainly cool that he grew up a bears fan and he certainly is genuine in that. It's not just, I think a lot of times around the draft, people are, people say, Oh yeah, I was a huge fan of that team that drafted me growing up. And, um, I don't know that a lot of the times it's true, but I think Cole's pretty genuine in that, uh, being a Chicago area, area kid. I, I know that this is a, a really cool opportunity for him and him and his family are pretty excited about that. So, um, I think, uh, just, just, uh, um, look forward to what he, he can do for the bears and I'm a bears fan myself. So I'm excited to see what, what he can do for the bears. And uh, I think that it's going to be a good opportunity for him. We want to thank Tyler for the time that he took to share that insight on commit. Now it's time to bring on Josh Newman beat writer from the salt Lake tribune to learn more about the 50th overall pick cornerback Jalen Johnson. All right, Josh, so everything that you read on Jalen Johnson, it just comes back to be just so positive. But I like to get information, of course, straight from the... Does a robot know you like a neighbor? Insurance Corporation will fulfill requests to cover anyone, anything, anytime, anywhere, with most standard algorithm in the order it was received. Please hold. Robots don't know you. We do. At Farm Bureau Financial Services... 
Getting the insurance coverage you need always starts with a conversation. Find a Farm Bureau agent at fbfs.com slash protect. It's your future. Let's protect it. Source and from someone who's been able to watch him throughout his time at Utah. I'm curious, what type of player are the Chicago Bears getting in Jalen Johnson? I think the one thing that stands out about him just on the surface is that he's a tough kid, right? Uh, you know, he just had this torn, he, excuse me, he just had this torn right labrum. Uh, and we found out after the fact that he played the entire 2019 season with this shoulder injury. And despite that, you know, he's all Pac-12. He's an All-American. Um, he, he, he has this small history of shoulder trouble. Now, that's a bit of a concern. You know, you've been injured multiple times across a number of years, but he's been able to play through it. So he's a tough kid. He's, uh, he's what you might call, quote-unquote, a football player. So that's a positive. And um, he's a smart kid. He's proven, again, over a long period of time that he's coachable um, in any type of scheme. Utah asked a lot of him at that position. So, you know, the positives with him far outweigh the negatives. And I think the interesting thing is if he doesn't have all the shoulder trouble, he's probably a top 15, top 20 talent. So the Bears are probably fortunate that he fell all, all the way to 50. I personally feel pretty fortunate about that as well. And of course, you mentioned that right labrum that was torn and he played through that last year, showing some toughness, showing some grit as well. And I'm curious uh, how what you envision for him in his future of how large of an issue or maybe a non-issue that shoulder should be or that it was in Utah, because I know that a lot of the Chicago Bears fans, one of their main concerns are those shoulders and his health. And I'm just curious uh, from your perspective, from what you're able to see out of him in his time there playing through injury, if we should be concerned, if that's valid. I know he had a pretty rock-solid surgery to uh, fix up that labrum as well, but just curious your take on the shoulders and uh, if Bears fans should be concerned or not. I mean, look, I don't want to sugarcoat it. I mean, I think on some level there does need to be concern. One, look, a torn right labrum is a pretty significant injury for one. Number two, he had two other previous surgeries on his shoulders. Um, is this a detriment? Uh, maybe not, but yes, on some level, I do think there should be some concern just because he has had a significant injury and he decided to play through it. Um, now look, he, he went to the, he went to the combine and he ran the 40 and he bench pressed and he was impressive at the combine. So again, he's capable of playing through these things, but at some point down the road, yeah, there is, you know, there, there is some level of concern just based on, on the injury history, but um, look, he, he had surgery for the labor on March 4th. Um, You know, the timeline has, uh, has held. Okay. The timeline is four to five months. Uh, That has not changed. Um, If training camp starts on time uh, in the middle of all this, which is obviously a, a very big if he's expected to be healthy. So look, Yes, some level of concern, but you can't predict what happens down the road, right? Right now, he is on track to be healthy if training camp starts in late July. That's the bottom line. And that's what Bears fans are kind of hoping for, Josh. But Utah had six defensive players drafted this past weekend, and so there was clearly a bunch of talent on on that defense. But Johnson went first of, of those six players. What about his game stood out to you when you covered him? I think he's a bully at the line of scrimmage. He's willing to get 
in a wide receiver's face and and get him off the line and use his hands well. That you know that's what stands out to me. He's a he's a physical he's a physical cornerback. He's not afraid to mix it up with a wide receiver, and he will do that going all the way down the field. And I think that that is that is a major major attribute to his game. And then I think that's why he was um, as successful as he was. I mean, for the Bears fans that don't know, I mean, when he was when he was in high school um, in Fresno, California, he had you know, a lot of the major schools had offered him, you know, LSU and Ohio State and all these major schools. And his thinking was he wants to he wants to find a place where he can develop and he wants to get out of school in three years with his degree and go to the draft as a junior. And he was able to do all those things. And that's great. Um, Josh, what is just maybe your favorite story that you wrote about Jalen or just a favorite interaction that you can remember just with your time covering him? I think this last month, last six weeks, eight weeks has been really interesting just because, um, you know, again, the, the shoulder stuff was not revealed until right before the combine. Nobody, nobody knew about this. And the amazing part to me is, okay, you, you know, you find out about the shoulder, you know, that news breaks like six days before the combine. And then you start thinking about it. It's like, wow, he played essentially with one shoulder. He was an all American the biggest play of Utah's entire season, they played 14 games. The biggest play of their season was they were at Washington. They're getting outplayed by Washington. And Jalen Johnson comes up with a 39-yard pick six late late in the third quarter, uh, saved that game, saved the season essentially because Utah wound up going to the Pac-12 title game again. And I talked to Jalen a couple of times uh, in the last month in the lead-up to the NFL draft. And he was he was pretty he was pretty nonchalant about the whole thing. He's like, you know, I'm a football player. Am I hurt? Am I injured? I'm not injured. I'm going to play hurt. And he was just very nonchalant about the whole thing when the rest of us were were sort of amazed that he was able to do all these things, essentially playing with one arm. How would you say that Jalen Johnson was perceived in the locker room by his coaches and his peers throughout his career? He's a leader. Uh, he came in came in pretty immediately as a, uh, as a very mature kid, you know, 18, 19 years old, um, you know, good upbringing, strong family life, strong home life, uh, him and his father, uh, you know, again, they, you know, they had a plan uh, three years in and out with a degree and he showed up, he showed up here as, as very mature and willing to put the work in and willing to be vocal, which is not always an easy thing for, a young kid in a position room and they, they held steady and they held to the plan and, and, and they, and they got it done their way. You know, you don't see a lot of kids look, a lot of kids can make these plans, right? Look, I want to, I want to do three years in school and I want to go to the NFL draft. I don't want to be in school all four years, but they, they did it and they did it the right way. You know, good kid went to class, not a troublemaker. So, um, you know, he, he was one of those kids where uh, during the NFL draft process, you're reading their projections. He was one of those kids that you were really rooting for that you just kind of hope that it all worked out for him. Yeah, just credit to Jalen for being able to accomplish all those goals that he had set out for him. But, Josh, how would you summarize Jalen's time at the program? What will he be remembered for? So uh, he, he's the best cornerback the program has ever produced. And I don't say that lightly because the University of Utah, especially in the last, probably in the last 
12 to 15 years since Kyle Whittingham has been the head coach. Um, you know, they, they've, they've taken pride in and they've painted themselves as this um, development type of program. They're not drawing, you know, the blue chip five-star kids. They're starting to get more four-star kids now, but their MO is really to bring in, <clears throat> excuse me, their MO is really to bring in the, you know, the three-star kids, develop them and get them out the door and hopefully give them a shot at a pro career. And <clears throat> Jalen was a four-star kid. He, he wasn't a super duper stud, but he was a four-star kid and he came in and he listened and he bought in and he, he is by any metric, you know, you can ask guys who have been around this program much longer than I have. Jalen Johnson is leaving Utah as the best at his position that has ever played there. And, um, Moving forward, I mean, certainly the coaching staff is is going to use um, Jalen's career, the way he operated, the way he did things. They're going to use his experience as a major recruiting tool moving forward. Yeah, high praise, uh, which is very exciting to hear, of course, uh, for Chicago Bears fans. I'm curious for you personally here, Josh, is there a moment that you had throughout your time covering Jalen Johnson that was kind of that, like, wow, this kid can make it and thrive in the NFL moment? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, the aforementioned play at Washington and, you know, just to kind of paint a picture, I mean, Utah has only been in the PAC 12, um, nine years. Okay. They were in the mountain West for a very long time. And, you know, with all the, with all the conference realignment in the last decade, uh, Utah has been in the PAC 12 since 2011 and they've steadily made this progress, right. Trying to get to a PAC 12 title game. Uh, you know, trying to win a Pac-12 title. And Washington has been one of those teams that has really kind of stood in Utah's way. So 2019 season, they're older, a lot of seniors. They had to go to Washington. And if you don't beat Washington, you don't give yourself a chance to win the Pac-12 title. So, you know, uh, tough home environment at Washington in Seattle. And they're losing. They're getting outplayed. And, you know, um, Jacob Eason, who was the quarterback for Washington, you know, drops back. Uh, Jalen Johnson jumps the route, uh, picks it off, takes it to the house. And that was a real, that was a real turning point in the game. And not only the game, that was a turning point in their season. And, you know, they win that game. You know, they, you know, they went, they wind up winning the Pac-12 South, didn't win a Pac-12 title, but they got back to the Pac-12 title game by winning the South. And in hindsight, that's just a big time play. That's a big time play on the road in a tough environment in a game that you had to have. And that was one of those plays to me where Jalen kind of showed that he is in, in some ways he's, he's, he's a man amongst boys out there playing his position. So, you know, that one kind of stands out to me as you know, one of the bigger plays of his career. Thank you so much, Josh. Is there anything else about Jalen Johnson that maybe Nick or I haven't asked you about? Uh, any tidbits or any other interesting stories that you believe Chicago Bears fans would benefit from hearing? I would say just um, from a media standpoint, just from you know, just from dealing with him a handful. He he's a very he's a very personable kid, right? He's he's very polite. He's very well meaning, and when you're when you're kind of the dude right when you're kind of the guy on your team and on campus you don't have you don't always have that level of humility about you especially when you're dealing with the media right no no player wants to deal with the media but from that standpoint he kind of understood um 
who he was and the role he was playing and the things that he had to do. So he always struck me as a, as a very, as a very personable kid, very easy to talk to, very polite. And that especially holds true like during the pre-draft process. Now, look, he was out of school. He didn't have to talk to me at all in the last month. He could have declined all, he could have declined all of the interview stuff, but again, he knows who he is and he understands who he is and that the media stuff is just part of the deal. So he has been, um, he's been great to talk to uh, uh, this entire time. Just great hearing about, you know, just Jalen and that he didn't let the moment kind of get too much to him, right? He's still staying who he is, like you were saying, Josh, and that's, you know, a credit to him. And he's just going to be a really good asset to this Bears locker room. Staying to who he is. And again, I really think, you know, I think he's going to walk into that locker room with a chip on his shoulder because again, uh, you know, a lot of people kind of viewed him as a, as a, again, a top 15, top 20 day one type of guy, but the shoulder stuff got in the way, you know, that's unfortunate. So he drops all the way to 50 in the second round. And I think, he, I think he's going to walk in there with something to prove. And I think he's going to walk in there with a, you know, with an opportunity uh, to start right away, assuming that we have a season obviously. So we'll see. Real strong stuff there from Josh on Johnson. Personally, I love the fact that he called him the best cornerback that Utah has ever produced. So here's to him providing an impact at the next level in Chicago. All right, let's head on down to Oklahoma with Kelly Hines, a sports writer for Tulsa World, for more insight on the Bears' next draft pick, edge player Travis Gibson. So, Kelly, I want to know, what did Travis Gibson mean to that Golden Hurricane defense? Obviously, he was a difference maker, but from someone who was able to watch that team, watch that defense, what did he mean to it? You know, he was definitely one of the, uh, like, spokesmen uh, for the defense. You know, it was a leader for sure, not just as a senior, but, um, you know, even earlier in his career, I remember uh, talking to him you know, um, maybe his sophomore season. And, and he just, he, he kind of developed into, um, you know, more of a vocal role as he went on. But I think he always had, um, he commanded respect from the other guys and um, was obviously a central figure in what they were trying to do on defense. And, and certainly once they kind of changed defensive uh, philosophies, um, I think maybe for his last two years, he was, um, you know, he had an even bigger role in that. And Kelly, uh, Travis, obviously, he led the team in sacks back-to-back years. Was there a game that kind of just stands out from your time covering him? Oh, man. There were, there were quite a few games his senior year. Um, gosh, it's it's hard to, to remember which games those were. That seems like a lifetime ago. But, you know, I, I remember going into his junior year, he was really hoping to um, set the sack record at, at Tulsa, which he did not do. But I think it, it just kind of – what stuck to me that stuck out to me about him more than anything was that he set like really high goals for himself that, you know, even then I remember thinking, I don't know if that's possible. And it it clearly wasn't possible. Um, You have to have a lot of things go right for, for if you want to build more sustainable eating habits, Noom weight can help. Our program uses psychology to help you better understand your relationship with food and empower you with the practical knowledge and skills you need to build long lasting habits and behaviors. And with Noom, there aren't any good or bad foods. Instead, we'll provide you with the wisdom and expert guidance you need to make informed choices that fit your lifestyle and health goals. Start your trial at Noom.com slash balance. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash balance. You and your team just just set those kinds of records. But, you know, I just uh, just remember that being really striking that, 
you know, he had a goal like that picked out for himself. And, and he did have a lot more success um, statistically, you know, his senior year that maybe wasn't as much there as, as a junior, but he was extremely disruptive, you know, and there are certain things that staff don't always account for. And I think, um, you know, throughout his career, he was that type of player. Now, throughout his career, too, you mentioned he's someone that set uh, a ton of high aspirations for himself. How is he perceived inside of that locker room by his coaches and his peers? You know, the other thing that, that you know, a lot of people may not realize is when Travis uh, signed out of high school, he was like 200 pounds. You know, now he's about 275. The work that he put in um, in the weight room and, and just, uh, you know, obviously like on his own time, to get his body where it needed to be for him to compete, you know, not only at the college level, but the next level. You know, I think that that was something that a lot of guys were really impressed with. The coaches obviously um, understood that they had a guy who was willing to do whatever it took. Um, and, and that, you know, was, I remember him telling me once about peanut butter sandwiches at, you know, midnight, just trying to get his weight up. And, and you know, once the season started keeping that weight on was a real challenge. He's so athletic. Um, but, you know, that was probably the biggest difference, um, you know, in, in what he was uh, at the beginning of his college career versus what he is now. Just the fact that he was willing to put in all of that effort and, and he knew what he needed to do to get there. And I think that that was impressive for everybody in the program. And Kelly, just from your time covering Travis, is there a story that you may have done um, just from covering him that kind of, again, stands out, something that you won't forget, just Again, covering him for the number of years that you did. Yeah, I, I, you know, I did so much for reason. And, you know, just started talking about him trying to get his weight up and, and you know, all of the, the effort that, that he put into that. You know, I, I think, um, you know, the way he transformed himself was um, just really striking. And, and I think that, you know, he had potential going into his college career, but, to see the way he, uh, you know, finished up and, and now obviously have a chance to play in the NFL. That's pretty amazing. That's a journey that, you know, most guys, you know, all guys dream of, but you don't really think that it's a, a real possibility, but, you know, his, his older brother uh, played um, college basketball, played uh, overseas some. And um, I think he kind of knew what, what it would take to, um, you know, get to that sort of point with, with his own career in football. And, you know, I, I wrote several stories that, that, you know, not really a definitive one, but those are the things that kind of stick out to me about him. Gotcha. And, and how would you summarize Travis's time just with the program? What will Travis be remembered for? You know, I think he was just, uh, he was known as being a guy who, you know, always brought it, you know, I, I think that he, um, was high energy. He was, um, you know, he had that sort of chip on his shoulder that he, um, you know, carried with him because he didn't have a lot of offers coming out of high school. And, and, um, you know, I, I think that, uh, how he wound up at Tulsa, you know, that, that kind of shows that it doesn't matter, you know, your, your souls and all of that stuff, you know, it, it, it you have some potential and obviously he had some, he had, you know, good genes and, and those sorts of things and, and the frame to, to put on some pounds. But I, I think that when you have all of those sorts of things with intangibles like effort and attitude, I, I think that he showed that, you know, you can make something of yourself um, and it doesn't matter if, if you're not highly regarded. And, and to be able to, to have a chance to, to make it in the NFL, um, 
I just think that that's uh, probably what he should be remembered for. You know, for Tulsa to have um, a guy drafted, that's something that doesn't happen very often. It's been a few years since that happened. This year they had two with uh, Reggie Robinson the second um, getting drafted by Dallas. But, you know, I think that uh, for a program that's still trying to find its way, that's a huge deal. Do you have a personal moment when you're covering Travis throughout those years, like a, wow, this kid can really make it to the NFL type of moment? You know, I, I just remember seeing flashes of that like early in his career. And then, you know, once it got to his junior and senior seasons, uh, there were, you know, more of those moments. And, and you start to think, you know, if he can do this, if he can do that, then, then he might have a chance. And, and those things started to come together, especially when you, you know, before his senior year to see the way he had transformed his body. Um, I mean, that was pretty incredible. Um, but, you know, I I kind of thought that he had a chance to, to be whatever he wanted to be, you know, if that was in the NFL or in, you know, career beyond that. He just is the type of guy who carries himself really well. He, you know, always looks you in the eye when he talks to you. He shakes your hand. He refers to you by name. I mean, that's those little things like that that, you know, for for those of us as, as beat writers, those are things that go a long way. And and he always um, remembered my name and and was and would speak to me even whenever I was there to interview him. So um, he just was. He's just been a really impressive guy to get to know. Is there anything else about Travis that maybe Nick or I didn't ask you that you want to make sure that Chicago Bears fans know as he enters his rookie season? You know, I, I think that he's he's probably going to need a little bit of time. You know, I, I think that, um, you know, it's it's obviously a pretty big jump from, uh, you know, playing in the American Athletic Conference to trying to make an initial team. But I, sure. I think that if, if people are patient with him, I, I think that he could, um, you know, definitely show what he's capable of doing. Gibson really seems like he has the confidence and aspiration to really take flight. But like Kelly said, it just may take a little bit of time. Now moving on to Kendall Vildor. Here to teach us more about Vildor and his time at Georgia Southern is McLean Baxley, who covers the team for Savannah now. Now just a heads up that this recording had to take place over the phone and McLean he didn't have the best cell service, so I attempted my best here in the editing room, but I do want to be upfront with any perhaps technical issues, just like I always do. When I look into Vildor, everything seems to circle back to the game that he had against Clemson in 2018, where he didn't allow a single reception. I want to know, did that performance stand out as much back then as it does now? Yeah, I think that game was definitely the game where he kind of uh, you know, turn that corner of just becoming a uh, you know another defender and uh, you know G five school to a guy that can actually produce and do well. He's the reason that you know Trevor Lawrence ended up starting over Kelly Bryant from the rest of the season. But you know he had that interception against Bryant and uh, you know just locked down Power Five and a national championship winning team that for most of the season was dominating a lot of teams at the you know, Power Five level. Now, last year, of course, uh, Vildor, he did have that ankle injury that he suffered in October. I want to know, how much did that actually impact the rest of his season? I know he missed two games, but did that have a lingering effect after he returned? I don't think so. I think, you know, he came back and, and still had an interception in the bowl game against Liberty. Uh, still had, you know, four tackles against Arkansas State and Georgia State rival games. Um, I think you know, him being out kind of hurt the team more than it hurt him. Other than that, you know, he... Uh, 
came back and was the same competitor and same defender as he was prior to the injury. And so Almi had much of a uh, setback from that. Now, just getting some general questions here. I want to know, have you had any interactions with him or do you have a favorite story from Vildor's time at Georgia Southern? So I've been around him a good bit. You know, he's kind of the guy that uh, post-game, they send an offensive player and a defensive player up, and a lot of times it is Builder after having a good game. Uh, I think one of the stories that kind of underlooks, I think, um, the preseason of this past season in 2019, talking about season Saturday, and a lot of the players were just yelling, season Saturday, and I was like, what does that mean? So I, <laughs> I uh, you know, the next day uh, for fall practice and preseason, I – Asked to talk to all the guys that were in that video. It was, uh, you know, Kendall Builder, it was Ty Phillips, and a couple other guys. And I was excited. So there's a restaurant in Statesboro called Seasons of Japan. It's a little, um, uh, just a little fast food Japanese restaurant. And um, every Saturday they go to Seasons. Um, those four or five guys that a lot of them were roommates and um, you know, good friends. They would go get that and then go back to their apartments and, and play Xbox or play PlayStation. And uh, so talking to him about that and kind of, and rather than just the playing athlete, um, you know, so showing that human side, and um, you know, I, I I let off the interview talking about, hey, so what, you know, what are, looking, what are you looking for in fall camp or season, and then kind of ventured into that, um, you know, off the field uh, perspective and everything. So um, getting to see that kind of that that side of him. You mentioned that he was uh, perceived uh, or he was known as being very competitive. Is there any other ways that you would uh, explain that how he was like perceived in the locker room uh, amongst his peers, amongst his coaches throughout his time there? Yes, I mean, the top season was captain and uh, that speaks to off the field just as much as it is off the, on the field. Uh, I think he, he played with that underdog mentality. I talked to uh, his high school coach and, and guys that have known him for a while. And they said that, you know, even when he was 15, 16, even to now, and he's, you know, 21, 22, he keeps that underdog mentality of, um, you know, he was underlooked in high school, uh, didn't get a lot of offers, so he came to the Southern. And um, he kept that throughout the four years, and even, you know, after the four years, going into the draft and uh, now into the NFL. And so I think he commands that respect from a lot of guys because, uh, he's smaller. He's you know five eight, five nine. Uh, not the biggest guy. Not the biggest guy in defense. But he still um, he wasn't his, his side of the field wasn't thrown to a lot this season because guys knew teams knew that how good he was. And so uh, though his stats weren't as great this season, he still you know commanded that respect and commanded that um, yeah, I mean respect of who he was and who he was as a player. And that goes into off off the field also. Like a lot of the younger guys looked up to him and he coaches and um, you know, leads by actions and leads by example of, of always working hard in practice, always, you know, at every drill, whether it's a warm up or a game against LSU. You know, he, he gave hundred percent throughout the whole, throughout all four years. Now throughout those four years, what kind of legacy did he leave behind? What's he going to be remembered for when it's all said and done? Well, technically it is already all said and done, I guess, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think that, that just leading by example, for sure. You know, there's, there's a lot of younger guys now, you know, with Zoder leaving and also Moncrazen and Brinson um, on the other side of the field at cornerback. They're both leaving now. And so it's a lot of younger guys that are having to step into roles and, and play, you know, granted if we have the season when it starts, um, you know, they're going to be playing against 
really good teams. You know, Ole Miss, uh, Boise State, App State, all these guys uh, that that is on the schedule, they're going to have to step up into their starting roles and um, take on the same way that Kendall and uh, some of the other guys that left did. And so I think that's going to be one of the biggest legacies, just attacking every day and every practice, every game with the same um, intensity as you can. Uh, I think that's one of his big legacies for sure. Now, McLean, obviously you've been watching uh, Kindle throughout his entire time there at Georgia Southern. I'm curious, do you have a personal, like, wow, this kid can make it and play in the NFL moment? Probably that, that Clemson game, last, uh, 2018, you know, when he intercepted Kelly Bryant, um, that was big. And, and that first quarter, Georgia Southern was still in it. I think they were down by, uh, I think it was like 14 to 7. You know, it was like 7 to 0 uh, at the end of the first quarter. And then second quarter, Trevor Lawrence came in and kind of put the game away. But for that first quarter, I mean, they were competing. And, and like you said, no passes were allowed against him. Um, he didn't allow any passes and any movement on his side of the ball. And, and he's really good at uh, an open field. Um, you know, what, if he does get beat or if he's, you know, playing zone, he's able to recover and get those tackles and so they won't not a lot of big plays will go on him um and that's something that just impressed me throughout his career uh especially the past two seasons you know 2018 2019 when he when he really flipped that switch and became you know a guy that nfl scouts were looking at and uh, you know the senior bull and, and combine and stuff we're looking at uh when he really stepped up in the past two years you can really just tell just how high people are on vildor who may end up being a sneaky good pick when it's all said and done now, moving forward, I hope that you're ready to learn more about Darnell Mooney, the speedster wideout that the Bears selected in the fifth round. And for this segment, we have Andrew Allegretta, who is the official voice of the Tulane Green Wave. So, Andrew, with Mooney now in the NFL, I want to know, what will the Green Wave offense be missing next season without him? Like, what type of void does the departure of Mooney create? Well, so Darnell Mooney was a guy that offensive coordinator Will Hall was able to use in a lot of different positions. Um, You may have seen a couple of quotes from Coach Hall about using him on the boundary, somewhat on the inside, partly because uh, Tulane's offense lacked depth at the wide receiver position. The other wide receiver is this guy by the name of Jalen McCleskey, who signed with the Atlanta Falcons. So it's, it's actually kind of hard to say exactly what the offense will miss uh, when it comes to Darnell Mooney because he was placed in a bunch of different spots and uh, Will Hall was able to use him like that. But basically, he was the primary target. He was the guy that was used on the boundary. He would run the deep routes. He had a ton of speed. He was able to stretch the defense. Uh, So they're going to have to replace that sort of athleticism and speed downfield uh, next year. Yeah, absolutely. And Andrew, you had the opportunity to call a lot of Darnell Mooney's games. What play stands out from when you go back and reflect on the 2019 season? Wow. What play specifically? Uh, There's a couple of different plays that come to my mind. Um, A a lot of them actually look somewhat similar to me. And I actually just finished a conversation with Will Hall not too long ago. And one of the things that kind of I talked about with him is the fact that, you know, Darnell Mooney is not a tall wide receiver, but I always felt like he played bigger than his size and they may not use him on the outside in Chicago. They may use him more as a slot wide receiver. Uh, But there was a couple of touchdown passes that he brought in uh, specifically one against Houston, which gets played a ton. Um, where he just he out jumps guys and maybe he's only five nine five ten whatever he's listed at, uh, but 
But despite the fact that he's got quote unquote short stature, he's got leaping ability and he's gone up and, and brought in um, touchdown passes above cornerbacks that are taller than him. And Andrew, I mean, just with, you know, calling a bunch of games there, what was your favorite maybe interaction that you had with Darnell Mooney just with your time there? Oh, you know, so this is my first season at Tulane, so I only had um, a limited number of interactions with Darnell. I, I, I think we did a conversation when he got back from the draft combine, which is where his stock really shot up. I think he ran, what was it, like a, a 438. Yeah, four three eight forty. Uh, people started to understand his speed, um, and, and and just talking with him about that experience, getting to know the guys down there, competing against the guys, staying with the guys, getting his perspective on all of that, how he's gone about training. He he's a casual guy. He's a low key guy. Um, you know, it, a place like Tulane, it's it's actually kind of. I'm not saying it's impossible, but. It's hard to have a huge ego here because you're probably not a guy that was terribly sought after in the recruiting process. Not to say that that's less than anything else or diminishing anything that any one of these guys have accomplished athletically. Um, but, you know, you weren't a five-star recruit, probably, recruited by Ohio State and Texas and USC and whatever. So you come to campus with a little bit of a chip on your shoulder and, and try to prove yourself. Uh, the story with Darnell is the fact that he was the very last signee from Coach Willie Fritz's very first recruiting class four years ago, and he's worked himself into this position, and you see it with the way he carries himself day in and day out. What would you say Mooney was perceived in the locker room by his coaches, his peers, and perhaps even not outside of the locker room uh, with some of the fans as well? So uh, he's a leader. He was voted a captain for this past season. Um, he's a quiet leader. He's not a huge rah-rah guy. That's sort of what I mean, too. Like you see him on campus or you see him in the athletic facilities. He can be somewhat unassuming. He's not, you know, a hulking offensive lineman. He doesn't have a big voice. Uh, but he's terribly well-respected with the way that he's put himself in position to be successful. He finished his career with 2,500 receiving yards, which is sixth all-time at Tulane, and that is just pure work ethic for Darnell Mooney and the benefit of um, Coach Hall coming in, being able to get him some uh, good looks this past season, but he put himself in position to be successful on the field with, with his low-key but focused attitude. Yeah, absolutely. And Andrew, how would you summarize Mooney's time with the program? What will Mooney be remembered for? I think he'll be remembered for kind of that note that I was talking about um, a second ago with Willie Fritz making him the very last signee of Coach Fritz's first recruiting class. And Coach Fritz came here. Tulane obviously is a program that has had its moments in college sports, 1998, they go undefeated with Sean King. They've had first-round quarterbacks with Patrick Ramsey and J.P. Losbin and Matt Forte, as you guys know, obviously mm -hmm. a very talented running back, uh, but consistent success has been hard to come by. And this senior class that just left won back-to-back -back bowl games for the first time in program history. So you have a guy who was a captain as part of that group, who was the very last signee for Willie Fritz, who worked himself into position to be successful and helped establish a much more significant winning culture. So that sort of mentality, work ethic, all of that sort of stuff that I was talking about, um, caged in the perspective of this is what they were able to accomplish with it. A tremendous offensive season last year, nearly breaking records, again, winning seven games and going to back-to-back -to -back bowl games and winning both of them. A totally different vibe, and Darnell Mooney's a part of that. 
when you were watching his games this year, did you have a personal like, wow, this kid can make it to the NFL type of moment? Uh, you know what? No, not to say that I never thought he would. Um, but I recognize that I'm not an NFL scout. Um, and I recognize that if someone doesn't stand six foot five and look like the prototypical NFL player, I may not be able to pick him out of a crowd. I knew he was a great wide receiver. He was always consistent for us. Um, but also figuring out how someone his size and his game fits in. That's, you know, that's, that's beyond me. I, I was always impressed with, like I said earlier, his ability to play bigger than his size. I was impressed by his speed. I knew that Coach Hall could send him deep and he could go get touchdowns. Um, but I, I do I do admittedly a terrible job on, on projectability. Um, I, he was a great wide receiver, but exactly what it meant, was he going to be a seventh-round pick? Was he going to be a third or a fourth or a fifth or whatever? Uh, I'm not quite as good at discerning that. I just knew he was really consistent for Tulane. And the last question I have for you would be, is there anything that maybe Nick or I haven't asked yet uh, regarding Darnell Mooney, uh, whether it be a story, an interesting, interesting tidbit, or anything of that nature that you believe Chicago Bears fans would uh, either enjoy or benefit from learning more about? You know, I'm not sure. I think um, just kind of relaying the conversation that I just had with our offensive coordinator, I think that's probably the most interesting thing from a football X's and O's standpoint that Chicago Bears fans might be interested in. Like, again, he was used on the boundary uh, at Tulane. But, you know, Coach Hall, who is uh, he is as into everything when it comes to football, um, he knows all of the coaches, college pro, he knows systems, he knows all that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, he's certainly not telling coach Nagy how he's going to use Darnell Mooney provided Mooney making the team. Uh, but his understanding of that offense and what Darnell can do looking for Darnell kind of in the slot, um, would be a really interesting thing to think about and how that fits into the bears offense, uh, provided that you guys fix your quarterback situation. <laughs> Ooh, I, I, that's warranted. That's fair. Uh, I do say, uh, we really desperately needed someone uh, like Mooney that brings that speed to this offense. So I'm very excited about everything that he brings, uh, to the table quarterback permitting, uh, Nick, how about you? Any final questions here for Andrew? Yeah, no, not really, Andrew. Just hearing what you had to say, I got to talk to wide receivers coach Jeff Conway yesterday, and I think the Bears, the Bears organization is really getting a high character guy that can actually contribute in their first year, especially because there's such a need for a speed receiver. But I think Bears fans are going to be really excited with what Mooney can do on the football field. Moving on to the seventh round, let's learn about the first offensive lineman that the Bears selected, Arlington Hambright. For Hambright. Here's Brian Howell, sports writer at buffzone.com. All right, so of course, Arlington Hambright, he came in as a grad transfer, so you got him in the program a little later than most. I'm curious, what kind of impact did he have on that offensive line, of course, on that entire offense as a whole in his limited time in the program? He did a really good job of uh, just kind of solidifying that line. Uh, CU has not had a great offensive line for a number of years, but um, I mean, he's actually the first offensive lineman drafted uh, in seven years uh, since David Bakhtiari, who's now with the Packers. But he, he did a good job. They had a left tackle that uh, was a sophomore last year, played most of the, the previous season at left tackle. Arlington came in and really solidified left, moved that other kid over to right, and that really helped CU um, have two pretty good bookends there. And Arlington played well. I mean, he 
was probably their best lineman, most consistent lineman from start to finish. Now, a lot of Bears fans, they were a little underwhelmed at the fact that the team was drafting an offensive lineman in the seventh round, but can you explain to those fans why maybe they shouldn't sleep on an Arlington Hambright there for the pick? What does he bring to the table in terms of those strengths that should get fans excited? Well, he does have good size, and you know I think he's got a lot of upside. And, uh, you know, he did not play a ton of college football. Um, he started the JUCO route. He went to three colleges. Started in the JUCO route, uh, was a defensive lineman, uh, and then, then moved over to offensive line over his JUCO and uh, started at Oklahoma State for a pretty good team, but then had some injuries. And so, uh, you know, and then, and then transferred to Colorado and started the whole year last year. Last year was his first year of, of college. He played a full season at left tackle. So, uh, you know, he's got a lot of growth there. I think he's got a lot of potential to uh, really develop and get better um, as he gets into a system and you know, I don't know if he's a practice squad guy or whatever, but I think he's a guy that, you know, two, three years down the road, you'll see is a lot better than he is right now. Throughout your time there, uh, that kind of crossed paths with Arlington, do you have a favorite either interaction or a story that you did on him? Not really, because there wasn't a whole lot of time. Uh, you know, he, he got there, uh, you know, last summer, and uh, so we just had him for a few months. Uh, just a real personal kid. I mean, nothing real memorable with him, but he is real personable, uh, you know, a nice kid and, um, you know, always good to talk to, uh, nothing super, uh, memorable that jumps out of me, but, uh, but just definitely, you know, a guy that fit in right away, uh, really meshed with his teammates and, uh, you know, did a good job that way. Can you explain to us like how he was perceived in the locker room, uh, either by his peers and or his coaches? He was liked right away. And, uh, he was one that, you know, because he had some experience and, you know, it's funny because I talked to the kid, uh, William Sherman was the kid that I mentioned was their left tackle two years ago and moved over to right. That can be kind of a tough transition. Somebody moving from that glory spot of left tackle over to right. And William is actually a kid. Look for him in the draft in the next year or two. I think he's going to be really good. But um, he took that in stride and said, hey, whatever's best for the team. And once he met Arlington, he said, I love this guy. You know, I'm happy to give Arlington this spot. So he got along really well with these guys. And I think the two of them really got along. Now, like you said, not a lot of time in the program bounced around from a few schools, but when it's all said and done, what do you believe Arlington Hambright will be remembered for in the program? I think he'll, he'll be remembered for coming in and really doing a good job with that offensive line. Um, in the one year he was there, I mean, they, you know, like I said, they haven't been a great offensive line and CU was five and seven last year, but their sacks went down dramatically last year. And a lot of it was him and, and uh, you know, just the protection he gave Steven Montez uh, you know, for his blind side last year was really good. So I think Arlington did a really good job there. Do you have a personal moment when you were watching him last year that it kind of dawned on you like, Hey, this kid, he can make it to the NFL. Well, I remember seeing him. We, we don't get the, see a lot of practices but um there was an open practice in the fall where you see him in uniform you're like wow that's a different type of kid i mean he looks different that looks like a man right there and uh and really i think just all year just kind of watching me thought this is a an nfl potential type of player uh, just because there was nothing flashy about him but he went out there and he just made blocks and he was he was a the guy they could depend on and run behind 
Now, Brian, is there anything about Arlington that I haven't asked you yet? Either uh, you know, a story, uh, a tidbit, uh, anything else that we haven't really talked to to this point that you want to make sure that Chicago Bears fans know about uh, this draft pick and who they're getting in Arlington Hambright? Well, like I said, I think you're just getting a solid kid. I mean, someone that um, is, is going to put his head down and go to work. Uh, someone that uh, is going to, I know he's going to relish this opportunity. I actually reached out to him, sent him a message after he was drafted and told him congratulations. And, you know, he, he wrote right back and, and, and said thank you. And, you know, he, he's someone that uh, appreciates where he's been the journey he's had to take to get there. And, you know, he's not going to take this for granted. I think he's going to go out there and work. Great. I think that should do it, Brian. See, pretty painless. Yeah, I hope I gave you something there. It was hard. Just like I said, he wasn't there super long, and so there wasn't a whole lot of time to really get to know him that well. Right. No, it's between that and, of course, but, offensive uh, linemen are usually, too, one of the harder you know people to get information on. or It's hard to, you know, if they do their job, there's nothing to talk about. Right. Well, that, that was kind of that was kind of the deal with him. He did have, you know, uh, he went through a little spell where he had, um, I think it was false start, uh, a few start false start penalties a couple games in a row. But uh, that was kind of an offensive line issue. Like, it seemed like everybody was going through that for a few games. But um, I think he's just an interesting prospect. I mean, like I said, uh, CU's outside linebackers coach was his defensive coordinator in junior college. And so Arlington played defensive line at, in junior college. And so he didn't play that much offensive line in college. So I, it'll be interesting to see how he develops. See, now that's something I learned. I did not know he played in uh, defensive line in Juco. So that is, see, that, that was a good tidbit. Yeah. And so uh, his, it was interesting because the, the guy they hired as the offensive or the outside linebackers coach last year, as you're looking at him, like, wait a minute, he was at the same. How personalized can a financial plan be when it's created by one of those robo-advisors? Plugging in standard algorithm to calculate insurance need and future wealth of random human client. Robots don't know you. We do. At Farm Bureau Financial Services, getting to know you always comes first. Together, we'll create a financial plan based on your specific goals. Find a local Farm Bureau advisor at fbfs.com protect. It's your future. Let's protect it school Arlington was and he realized he was his defensive coordinator so <laughs> you, know, <laughs> Ar- you know Arlington thought he was going to be a uh, a defensive lineman in college yeah that's real interesting it's it's nice to see he was able to make that transition and make it in such a way that it was able to actually give him some draft stock and become drafted here yeah he, he did a good job and, and really there's not like I said there's not much flash there it's just real solid um, his offensive line coach this last year, who's now moved on to Michigan State, you know, always have high praise for him. So um, just a good, solid kid. I think he'll get better. Great stuff there from Brian. Now, last but not least, Nick had the opportunity to go one-on-one with Latavius Simmons, offensive line coach from Middle Tennessee State. So, Nick, I'm going to go ahead and just hand this one over to you. Thanks, Will. So I got the opportunity to talk to Russ Ehrenfeld, the Tennessee State University offensive line coach. Had an exclusive interview with him about Lachavius Simmons, but here are some of the questions and answers from that interview. Russ, what was it like coaching Lachavius Simmons? Um, I think the biggest thing with Lachavius was, um, you know, you could see, 
his mature, you know, the physicality and his athleticism was there. And I think that Latavius had to grow as a player and to develop more confidence in himself. And once he did that, then, um, you know, you could see that carry over to the field. You know, Latavius, is a, he's a very bright young man. He's bright in the classroom, but, he, you know, he can do a lot of things. Um, and then to um, – and then, you know, on the football field, it's the same way. I mean, here's a guy that in, in numerous games went from playing guard to tackle. And, uh, you know, there was no drop-off. And, you know, he can also play center and uh, did some of that in, in some of those practices out in Hawaii at the Hula Bowl. So he is a very talented young man. And I think, you know, I mean, I think he's got a tremendous upside. Coach, you just talked about Lechevis's versatility. What else would you say are his greatest strengths? Well, I mean, the, the one thing you can't, as a coach, you can never coach – you know, his height and his length. I mean, the guy's got 35 inch, you know, 35 inch reach. So that's something that, you know, that's God given. Um, and I think, you know, just his, his attitude and attitude affects everything that you do. That's something that we, you know, at Tennessee state, we, and we emphasize that all the time to our guys. So, I mean, he's got a great attitude. He's going to be open, open-minded, and he's going to listen to coach Castillo. I think the other thing about Lechavius this is a guy, um, a couple of things. He's a student of the game. He's going to get on and he's going to get to, you know, YouTube or whatever. And he's going to study. But I'll share a story with you. Um, you know, our campus is literally, figuratively, right down the street from the Titans training facility. So, and, and this, many times when practices were open for fans, Latavius would go out and watch the Titans practice. I'd be on the field, you know, watching uh, Taylor Lewan or, or um, you know, any of those guys practice. Latavius would be on the other side of the fence, and he'd be watching those, watching the O-line practice. And he did that because he wanted to learn. He wanted to get better. And that's, you know, I think that's all for him. That's been the maturation process. Coach, it's extremely evident that Lechavius is very committed to the game, but to be a good football player, you also have to put the work in the film room. So what was Lechavius like watching film? Well, I mean, uh, you know, he's very good in the film room. Um, you know, we, uh, you know, during the season, we would meet early in the morning uh, on Thursdays, and I would feed all the, all the linemen. And he, he would always come in there during, and, you know, during the day we practiced in the afternoons. So Lechavius consistently came in every day, sat, uh, you know, in, in my meeting room in front of a laptop and he was watching film. So, um, you know, again, the guy, the guy is bought in a hundred percent to all of this. Um, and I think, you know, in, in my opinion, I think that's a big part of why he got his name called out the other day. He's going to do everything right. Um, he is not. He's he's not going to ever. You know, he's never going to embarrass the Bears program. He's never going to do anything crazy. This this is a great young man who has been raised right and has a great moral character and is going to. He's going to do some great things. I really believe that he's a grounded young man. Russ, we just got done talking about what Lechavius was like on the football field. 
What was he like off of it? Do you have any memories that kind of just stand out above the rest? Well, you know, you have to understand where he comes from and the history of that area and, and, and that, you know, that just like all of us, you know, we're kind of a product of our environment. So, you know, he's, he, like I said earlier, he's a grounded young man, but he grew up on the farm and he's growing up, you know, building stuff and, and, uh, working on trucks and cars and he can do all of that. But, you know, he knows about cows and pigs and, and I'm from Northern New Jersey. I grew up 15 miles from New York city. So I would mess with him all the time about stuff like that. Cause I have no earthly idea about cows and pigs and things like that. So, you know, he would, he would tell us stories about, yeah, our coach, I'm down on the farm and, you know, yeah, we're, we're doing this and we're doing that. And I'm like, Oh, okay. You know? So, um, you know, uh, again, uh, a, a great young man always has a smile on his face. Um, well respected, well liked by everybody on our campus, and um, just a solid person. And, and, and you know, there has never since he was since I've been with him since he's been at TSU, there was never an off the field issue with him. You know, with doing something crazy with alcohol or drugs or anything like that. That's just not part of who he is, and that goes back to where he was raised and how he was raised. Russ, how do you think Lachavius was perceived in the locker room by his teammates? Well, I, I think that, um, you know, it, obviously as he matured and he grew uh, as a person, and, you know, so, yeah, he he definitely was well-respected. Um, you know, and we and we had a really good, you know, we had a good group, good a good um, meeting room. This year, with um, you know, with with some solid young men, um, you know, and more than anything, I think Lachavius for the younger guys, you know, they they looked up to him and they saw, hey, you know, especially at practice, the scouts that were coming in all the time, and they were looking at Lachavius, they were looking at, you know, a couple of our receivers, and and so, yeah, uh, I, no question that Lachavius is is definitely been well is definitely well respected and. Um, you know, and, and they're all they. I know on Saturday that group, that O line group, they were all hitting them up and texting them, and they because you know, there's a thing if in our building, on our uh, we're on the third floor of a building called Hankel Hall, and our head coach Rod Reed, um, he he started a thing with uh, the offensive linemen or any offensive guys that have gotten drafted. Uh, down one hallway and the same with defense. So if you go down the defensive hallway, you got Dominic Rogers Cromartie's jersey up there. Uh, you've got Anthony Levine. You got Richard Dent. Mm. You know, you've got some, you know, and, and on and on. Offensively, we've got, you know, um, right now I've got a bunch of offensive line jerseys up there from, um, you know, Benny Anderson and uh, Lawrence Smith and, uh, you know, now Lachavius and, Robert Myers and, and uh, Kadeem Edwards and Demetrius Rainey and uh, Cecil Newton. So, I, you know, and I said to Lachavius the other day, I said, now you got to put your jersey up there. But, you know, we, so our guys, our recruits, our players, they go down those hallways and they see some of this tradition, and that's huge. I mean, that's huge to see those jerseys and, you know, that you can do that, number one, coming out of an FCS program that you can get drafted, and then number two, out of a, you know, a historically uh, black college. 
that really is a cool tradition that you guys have there at Tennessee State University. But coach, for in order to get your jersey hung up on that wall, you need to make a bunch of plays. So are there plays that stand out about Lachavius Simmons that really embody who he is as a football player? You know, I think, um, I don't, you know, there, there's so many, um, you know, and, and I think where, like, if you, I, I've seen one highlight that has been put together, and that may have come from the Bears, and then Lachavius has his posted on YouTube, and I went back, and this is the honest truth, the other night, probably around 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, I couldn't sleep, and I was watching his highlight that he put together, and just how he just, he was he was mauling people. You know, he'd get his hands on you, and he would just drive guys to the ground. And, um, you know, it, it was it was impressive. So, you know, um, you know, there's there's quite a few, I'm sure. You know, like this year we played, uh, you know, Middle Tennessee, which is a FBS program and more scholarships than us. And, you know, we rushed for over 200 yards against them. And, you know, uh, didn't give up a sack, I believe. And, you know, and I was watching some of that. I mean, he's just dominating people. And it, was, it wasn't just him, it was all of them. But the young man, you know, if you don't get caught up with the numbers of this round or that round, and you got a great O-line coach up there and Coach Castillo, um, the young man is going to work. He's going to work. He's going to buy into what Juan is teaching, and he's going to do a great job for y'all. I believe that with all my heart. Bears fans are definitely going to be excited to hear that. Before I let you go, though, Russ, do you have any final comments or feel that I'm missing anything that Bears fans need to know about Lachavius Simmons? Well, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, I think I, 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 I think he's a great young man. He's very personable, and um, he's always going to have a smile on his face. What you saw in those videos, uh, the yes, sir, and the no, sir, that's who he is. And um, he's a great young man. Uh, I had a young a young man that I coached at another school that wound up uh, playing for the Bears for a while named Frank O'Meal. Mm. And he um, was an offensive lineman. And when the scouts were coming in and they were talking to me and they inevitably would ask me, like, well, Coach, who does he compare to? And I would say, well, he, he reminds me of Frank O'Meal. Frank O'Meal was a seven or eight, nine-year NFL draft, you know, dra- uh, veteran in the league, you know, and he and he was drafted by the Falcons and then made it to Chicago and then from Chicago finished his career up in Seattle. And uh, and Frank played multiple positions, and this is Lachavius reminds me a lot of him, just all the way around, the total person. Uh, with character and, and then, you know, as far as playing ability. So, again, uh, I think you're getting a great player. Uh, I don't flinch on saying that, but you're getting a better person, and he'll do a good job for you. I really believe that. All right, well, that's going to do it for the interviews that we're able to compile this week on all of the Bears draft picks. Nick, any final thoughts before we kind of close up shop for the week? Any big takeaways from all the interviews that we were able to do? You know, I think just after listening to all the reporters and the coach, what they had to say about this draft class as a whole, I think there's a lot of leaders on this team from their respective 
colleges. And I think you can work with that, especially for Coach Nagy, just taking in this group of rookies and molding them to be now Chicago Bears. So I think as fans, they should be excited about this draft class because like we were talking earlier, you can have some contributors early on and then down the road, some guys that potentially can fill some holes for the bears when they come. So it's an exciting draft class and I'm excited to see them grow as they take on their careers here. Oh, absolutely. You said it, you know, high character types of players, good leaders on their programs. Now entering the NFL, of course, as rookies, they're going to need to find their mentors and people to attach to as they learn the nuances of the pro game. But I love that everyone and the theme just kept circling back just how good of people these players were off the field. They, of course, were very excited about all the elements that they can help the Chicago Bears on Sundays inside of games, but just hearing what type of people they are off the field just continues to give me confidence that the culture inside of Hallis Hall is a strong one and one that you don't have any of those character concerns, you know, at any of these positions for any of these players. And when it comes to the draft picks, you know, Pace didn't really break away from that mold. He's bringing in people of high character, uh, great morals, and people that you don't have to really worry about in the future, maybe, you know, getting into some of those issues that you see other players around the league kind of uh, entering. So for me, just excited about uh, the types of people that we got in addition to the players as well. All right, well, that's going to do it, Bears fans. I want to thank you for tuning into this week's episode. We really do appreciate each and every one of you who took the time to give the show a listen. And just a heads up, we are only 20 reviews away from 600 on Apple Podcasts. And, of course, once we reach that goal, we will be giving away a free Chicago Bears jersey. So make sure to rate and or review our show on Apple Podcasts to help us reach our goal. We'll be back next week with another episode. But until then, bear down, Chicago. Does a robot know you like a neighbor? Insurance Corporation will fulfill requests to cover anyone, anything, anytime, anywhere, with most standard algorithm in the order it was received. Please hold. Robots don't know you. We do. At Farm Bureau Financial Services, getting the insurance coverage you need always starts with a conversation. Find a Farm Bureau agent at fbfs.com protect. It's your future. Let's protect it.